0: of In Media's Mess where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. Our first month of 2021 has come and gone and we've already seen some great shows with great endings. But we all know that satisfying endings can get pretty hard to come by. So in this episode, we're taking a look at characters that broke our hearts because of how their arcs ended.
1: So writing is hard, and showrunners can never please everyone, but as fans and viewers, these ones were pretty impossible for us to forgive. So I'm pretty sure when we say bad character endings, there are two in particular that immediately come to mind.
0: Or just two shows in general. Yeah,
1: so we're going to be pretty basic and cover both of them just because I think there's a lot to say.
0: And we're both fans. These are shows that we love.
1: These are absolutely shows that we both adored while they were running. And these are both shows that we've just stopped caring about.
0: Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, we both used past tense, (laughs) which is very telling of where this (laughs) episode is going to go. But yes, so today we'll be talking about How I Met Your Mother and Game of Thrones, two giants in pop culture, but also two shows now infamous for their endings.
1: Again, this is your spoiler warning. We're going to be talking a whole lot about everything that goes down with these two shows, as well as a couple of other shows that we're going to be using for comparison. Also, we kind of want to throw out the caveat that creating is difficult in general, and
0: We understand that we never signed the petition to change endings like that's not us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely not us. This is in no way a knock on the people who were involved in the creation. Exactly. We're just taking a look at what kind of unfolded and what we think went wrong at the very least.
0: Yeah, this isn't meant to be a roast episode necessarily, though, to be honest, if you talk to me with the microphone off about Game of Thrones, I might seem like a hater just because there was so much character assassination in the last season. Quite honestly, it was hard to choose one character to talk about in Game of Thrones. You have to understand, I used to really love the show. Mm -hmm. And I did not watch the last season until like two weeks before we had to do this recording (laughs) because I could not, because I know what happens. I'm not the kind of person that's like, oh no, spoilers. Neither of us are, I think. Yes, exactly. We're fine with spoilers. So I knew what would happen. I just didn't know if I really wanted to put myself through that. And true enough, when I finally watched the season, oh my God, Clea, I just, (laughs) I felt so indignant about so many of the character endings especially especially with John and Danny but i feel like considering everything Danny really was the biggest betrayal out of all of them
1: who started off pretty much as the blanket fan favorite she was an incredibly well i, I would say she was an incredibly like complex character she went through quite a bit throughout her run i think i would argue that it was sometime around Season 7, the things were kind of like really going weird for her.
0: Yeah, I get that. I think it's the same for a lot of people because she remained a fan favorite until around that point anyway. That's why her ending was really the most talked about. But, you know, not to be too snowflakey or whatever, but for me around the middle seasons, I just really got bored of her character because... There really wasn't much happening with Danny plot-wise. It's all kind of the same things. Right, yeah. And it's a repetition that doesn't make her a stronger character. It just makes her bland. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and she's such a key player too, which was something that I'm sure was in the story map from the get-go. So it was confusing why she became so flat.
1: Yeah, for sure. There is a lull in her story arc, especially like within the middle seasons and I think that that's also not necessarily like the start of character assassination or anything but it is very much a red flag that a character who was so interesting and so complex is you know watered down enough that nothing interesting about her sticks that to me was already like a problem like somewhere around season four season five she was just kind of there and if you take a look at like the entire like story arc of Game of Thrones and how big of a player she really was, it made not a lot of sense that she didn't play a bigger role in the middle seasons.
0: Yeah, and I don't know, I feel like out of the ensemble of characters, you know, she's the one you end up understanding the least. As an audience member, you feel muddled about her motivations and intentions because there wasn't a strong enough foundation, which I feel is a reflection, really, of how much or how little the show overall understood her as a character. And I think that's the core problem. And this is not like a knock on Amelia Clark. I mean, actors are different from, you know, the writers. Right. And we want to
1: clarify very specifically that this is absolutely not on Amelia Clark. Like, actors work with source material, and the source material for them are the scripts. So as much as there are books, and we can argue that she should have used those to understand her character better or something like that. It's really just, no. Because that's not the source material for this version of Daenerys, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's why I also don't want to completely compare to how the book did the story. Because personally, I find that those are different lenses. To analyze Game of Thrones as an adaptation is different from analyzing it as a standalone show. So obviously, we're focusing more on the show here than the book series. And yeah, the show did not understand Danny. Like, what was Danny even memorable for? Clea, like, it's dragons, her messiah complex, and being a Targaryen. What else? What else is there? Pretty much. Yeah,
1: it's very rare for me, at least, to kind of like find um, a favorite character and then completely lose interest in them midway through the
0: show. Oh, oh, was Danny your favorite character in the beginning? Um,
1: well, in the beginning, I'm pretty sure it was, like, Danny and Arya, just because, you know, they seemed like cool characters and, like, I enjoyed their, the progression of their narratives. But somewhere around Season 4, and, like, I would argue that, like, I was someone who kind of generally lost interest in Game of Thrones as the seasons progressed. Right, yeah. I remember Season 4 very well, because this was really where I just kind of stopped caring about the story. I just... I remember watching an episode and just being like, I don't care about what happens to these people anymore. I'm not
0: excited about anything. I agree. Danny's initial arc, which was, you know, her coming into her own person, it was great. That was like... First to second season, I believe, where she was understanding herself via V her brother.
1: And the complexities with introducing Viserys and also Khal Drogo and then like all of the characters who were introduced into her stories, even like you know, having Lord Varys at one point like coming in, it was a good movement of the narrative. And then for some reason it just hit a wall.
0: Yeah, and the thing is afterwards her adventures and conquests should have held more weight. So as to deepen who she was and her inner conflicts, but they ended up being kind of arbitrary. Pre-Mother of Dragons era, the conflicts that surrounded her were clear and engaging, you see where it's coming from. She didn't want to be her brother, but he was also her only blood relation. She was finding her place in the Kalasar and, like, the foreign and dangerous environment that she was in, and it didn't feel like home yet. But when she sets her sights on Westeros and starts to want to be a ruler, her motivations in doing so just isn't as compelling because it's also one note. She says several times that she wants to make a better world and, you know, she wants justice to a fault, etc., etc. But the root of these views, the reasons why she wants to do this you rarely actually call back to it right and you know for me a callback doesn't need to be overt but you know there was barely any you're not reminded at all of like how she got there
1: absolutely and for me the most frustrating thing was towards the end again season seven season eight the whole battle for westeros it became reduced to her birthright Mm -hmm. I think the reason fans latched on to her so much, especially in the beginning and why people wanted her to take the Iron Throne, was because she had gone through so much in the earlier seasons that the natural assumption would be that her experiences would make her a better leader. And, you know, one that Westeros desperately needed. Because if you looked at the people in power at the time, she was a massive upgrade. Yes. Then, season 6, season 7… Suddenly, taking Westeros was all about her birthright as a Targaryen, you know, because she had these dragons or whatever. And it was just so reductive. I feel like her entire character arc, it's basically an inverted triangle, I would say. That she was so full of complexities at the beginning, and then it just like narrowed down into this tiny, tiny little funnel. And that was the most frustrating thing to watch unfold.
0: No, 100%. The whole birthright thing is genuinely so disappointing because you're right, it was reductive. Sure, it could have been, you know, a tragic arc because she spent so much of her life trying to prove that she wasn't like her family, she wasn't like her father or her brother, to eventually end up being what she tried so hard not to be. That's tragic and could have been a great arc. The idea that absolute power corrupts, that's real, it's important, but how we got there was just so lackluster. Especially when you look at the three people who represented that struggle of being more than their names and their houses and their environment that's John, Danny, Tyrion. Right. It's really hard not to feel bitter that Danny was the one that ended up with the shortest end of the stick among them.
1: I would understand how, even through all of the adversity and all of these changes, Daenerys still does not escape her. Um, let's say, destiny of being born a Targaryen. That could have been a very compelling arc. The problem is her descent into madness was so out of left field. By the time she was setting fire (laughs) to King's Landing, nobody could understand the purpose of it. And that's why it was just so frustrating because I think by the last two or three seasons, from a fan perspective, nobody understood what in the world Daenerys was doing. And I would say least of all the writers.
0: And, you know, this has been widely discussed, but madness being her destiny, quote-unquote, is a harmful take, especially with so many people struggling with mental health. But from a writing perspective, again, the development and process to get her end as the Mad Queen was shortchanged. She jumped from having clear moral lines to massacring innocents. And we don't see how that jump happens. So you feel cheated.
1: Right. There was a point where people on the internet were actually kind of looking forward to a descent into madness from right, Dani. Yeah. There were a lot of people discussing like how that would go down and when it would happen and who she would kill and all of these things where clearly people wanted it to happen. And yet somehow they've managed to find a way to make it happen and get everyone angry
0: right because again the descent into madness not unheard of but the setup for it is inadequate you don't see how her identity changes right what triggered that identity change and again like her killing people i mean who didn't kill people in the game of thrones (laughs) like what they're at war I don't get it. But I guess you could argue that the switch happens when Missandei is murdered by Cersei in front of her and Missandei is supposedly very important to Danny. She was Danny's best mm-hmm. friend, advisor, all of that. Missandei is like very staunchly for Danny, right? She's the queen I chose.
1: You cannot doubt the loyalty that
0: this woman has for Daenerys. Yeah, Missandei would die for Danny. And I loved the beginning of their relationship. But throughout the last bit of the series, we barely even see them interact. They just stand next to each other. That is not relationship development. Nothing actually happens to the relationship anymore that will make Andes' death impactful enough to be the last straw for Danny. And as a viewer, you don't care enough about their connection to make that death count for you among the dozens of other deaths on the show. And I think this lack of relationship development further reflects just how much the show did not know Danny because she hardly had any relationships worth caring about. I understand that at
1: some point when she was leading the Kalasar and like when she was sort of getting the groove of how to be a leader, I understood that there were some, some relationships you had to kind of keep at an arm's length, as is the case of most things in Game of Thrones. Again, the thing with Daenerys is that I feel like the writing took it a little too far. Mm -hmm. And so by the end of it, it was so hard to actually
0: pinpoint what close relationships she had. That's so true. Investment in the characters' relationships with other characters, whatever kind that may be, is pivotal. And again, we barely get that from Dani. Not with Misande, not with her so-called subjects, not even with her dragons. Which I understand is a CGI budget issue, but still, come on! It doesn't help that they revert to the very shallow star-crossed lovers' duty versus love and happiness thing with John, and like, uh, I'm struggling to say diplomatically how awful I thought the Danny and John plot point was developed.
1: This is also something that I felt came so far out of left field. Even if, in theory, the whole ice and fire thing is perfect. Theoretically, it was such a great move. But when I was watching it, I was like, where did you come from?
0: And it ultimately ruined the characters for me. Again, I get it. I aspire main characters, people love them, blah, blah. But getting to that point, it's so half-baked. And then they made it the central conflict, which is so uninspired. And it didn't help that, you know, the love plot point was not shown. It was just talked about. They just used characters as, like, mouthpieces with literal lines that say, you know, he loves you, right? Right. And you're like, where is the proof of the love? That's not just you telling me that the characters love each other. Like, what?
1: It's a classic example of show, don't tell. This entire narrative was just tell. And when it's a TV show, and when when the lore and the universe is so expansive, you really should be able to afford the show.
0: And they did use the show. And that's why it's extra disappointing.
1: Right. And honestly, I would say that the, the number one thing that the show had in its first few seasons that it completely ran out of by season 8 was pacing. Part of me kind of wonders if it's because, you know, George R.R. R. Martin hasn't written this far yet, but genuinely it was just they completely misunderstood everything about the world of Game of Thrones. Right. So that by the time we got to the end of season 8, everything was just kind of a mess.
0: But the thing is, they shouldn't have needed George R.R. R. Martin to like hold their hand throughout the entire thing. They should have known from the beginning what they ultimately wanted to say with these characters and stories. And, you know, it could have been aligned with what George R.R. R. Martin wanted. It could have been different. But, you know, it should have respected the core of the characters, which they established in the beginning. Right. Because as it stands, the messages that they chose by the end of the series are a disappointment at best, and incredibly damaging at worst. For example, the optics of women's leadership being so fraught. Not even just with Danny, but with Cersei and with the constant putting down of Sansa by Jon, who, by the way, is so stupid. He's a dumb-dumb. And not even in a cute, himbo kind of way. He's just annoying. He is not the best option. And not a better leader. He is incompetent and doesn't listen to anyone.
1: Jon Snow does not deserve to rule anything. Let's just leave it at that.
0: For real. All the things he pulled at the end were exactly the type of things that got Rob and Ed killed. And like, how is he different? He's not. He's dumber. But anyway, yeah. The optics of a mad queen is just stress-inducing. And I'm not saying that women can't be corrupted by power, but you know, that was a choice. They chose that message. And I'm kind of angry at them for it. And I would say that the optics
1: of you know, this crazed, power-hungry woman that is used to make you believe that this useless idiot of a man is somehow a far better choice to lead your kingdom is just kind of ridiculous in general.
0: I know, I'm really trying to reel in my distaste, but <laughs> in the end, again, Danny suffered the worst of the show's pitfalls. Right. They did not know her, and so her development suffered.
1: Right. Sorry to use a cliche, but basically, like, this is just really good, strong proof that the journey is not in the ending. Mm. Because the ending, as convoluted and strange as it would have been, the ending, in theory, would have worked. The problem is, they didn't get there properly, I think. Yeah. and. I would argue like that an ending can only be satisfying if you as an audience member can see how they got there in a way that's satisfying or in a way that shows you that that is the correct ending to reach. You
0: have to justify it. Like when you're doing an essay, you have to put supporting arguments. Exactly. You've basically handed me
1: an opening statement and a closing statement. Yes. And I have yes. no idea how you've reached
0: your closing statement. So am I just supposed to guess here? And like I said, after all is said and done, it's just a disservice to everyone. Most of all, to Danny.
1: Right. And I would actually argue that with Daenerys and, you know, with Barney also and How I Met Your Mother, it's really just the blatant disrespect for the character's journey and the character's growth. Right. And for those of you who haven't seen How I Met Your Mother… Honestly, I was going to say check it out. But really, do yourself a favor and just don't. <laughs> oh, no. How I met your mother, I just, I need to say it. I was a major fan. Um, I watched it from the very beginning during this magical time where you actually had to wait for episodes on television. <laughs> I literally waited nine years to see the ending. This ending ruined my experience so much. These days, I see How I Met Your Mother out, and I change the channel. I can't watch it. I can't watch any part of the series because this ending was so bad.
0: My god, that's so unfortunate. But I totally get that because what happened to Barney was nothing short of tragic.
1: So similar to Game of Thrones, I would argue that Barney Stinson is not the only character who had a terrible ending. Very much like Danny, he was a favorite from the very beginning. But unlike Daenerys, Barney Stinson had an incredible journey throughout the entire series. Mm -hmm. This is one example of a character who, actually, from season one to season eight, was just flying perfectly into an incredibly well balanced, well developed, non damaging, non problematic growth. His character development was excellent. Anyone who's seen the show will understand um, he starts out as a very annoying, very very typical bachelor, Mm -hmm. playboy bachelor kind of person. And then, you know, throughout the course of the show, he grows into a very kind, thoughtful, and very complex person. And like, you see him shed all of the childishness, and you see him grow into such a good egg he became such a good person and
0: i think that's part of the reason why he was a fan favorite too because he grew so much
1: for sure um i think he starts out as a fan favorite in some part because he's played by neil patrick harris but also just because he was a funny character but throughout the run of the show he grows to be an even bigger fan favorite because like his character was treated so respectfully until season eight
0: it really was just downhill from there because season nine, my god.
1: Assassination is, a, is too light a term for what happens to Barney Stinson. It's just the course of the entire last season just undoes everything that has ever been built with him. And for what? For what? For me, I think the most frustrating thing was that Like, after the series finale um, airs, there were a bunch of interviews and there were a bunch of discussions. And we find out that the writers of How I Met Your Mother decided to stick to the ending that they had written when How I Met Your Mother was a two-season series.
0: And it went on for nine seasons.
1: And I would argue that a show kind of extending to more than four times its intended length should be
0: enough for you to kind of rewrite your endings. Yes, exactly. That was really confusing for me when it happened because honestly, I couldn't wrap my head around it really. And it actually happened a few times after How I Met Your Mother too. like it happened with the Gilmore Girls revival. So clearly, it's not something that showrunners have learned from. And for me, I just wonder why. Why would you willingly undermine the work that was put throughout the series? Like, you worked on that. Why would you undermine that? Why would you disregard the character's growth? Why be stubborn when the characters have clearly changed and have taken on lives of their own? Like, is it stubbornness? Is it pride? Is it trying to keep your control? Is it holding on to, like, your initial vision? And I feel like they didn't really explain that. Yeah, like, I don't understand why that was an intentional choice, basically.
1: Right. I mean, the decision to keep the Season 2 ending... It was terrible for pretty much every character that existed in the How I Met Your Mother universe. But everyone kind of like was up in arms about Barney because he was the one who really got thrown under the bus. I would argue because he was the one who grew the most. If we're going back to the essay analogy... Right. If you basically created like a strong opening statement and great supporting arguments, your ending statement can't contradict everything that you've written down
0: right it's like when you're doing draft one Mm. and you've gone through like eight different drafts already you found a lot of new things while researching and your thesis statement has evolved but you still stuck to the conclusion from draft one like it doesn't make sense exactly and like it's just it's just I'm, I'm
1: struggling to find, like, polite words to <laughs> explain how awful I feel about this.
0: Same! I want to say words, but we cannot.
1: <laughs> I think the thing about Barangay's ending and what it's actually kind of taught me, as an audience member, I am totally okay with my favorite characters not getting happy endings. But... The problem with that is that if you're not going to give this character a happy ending, it has to feel warranted. Right. There has to be a reason he doesn't get it. And there has to be a reason that the ending he gets is the ending he gets because otherwise it just feels like you messed up the writing. And with Barney, there is absolutely no point in the series where I can Pinpoint and say, ah, this is the reason why he will not be happy. Or, like, he was happy, technically speaking, but like, I can't pinpoint a moment where there is some sort of switch.
0: Yeah. And again, it calls back to, you know, if this is the choice, why is it the message that you want to send about the character?
1: I think similar to Daenerys, the problem is really just that if this is the ending that you want to give. You have to commit to it, not just at the end. Exactly. And even the divorce was like so swept under the rug.
0: It was like, okay, we're
1: getting divorced now, that's it. And let's just like, you're doing this what? The episode
0: right before the series finale? What are you trying to do? You know what, also, it's not like they didn't have time. They had so many filler episodes in season nine. Okay. For anyone who hasn't seen this, I will
1: spoil it all for you now so that you never have to. Season nine is a wedding and then a couple of like flash forwards and flashbacks. If you wanted to like make that ending for Barney make a little more sense, maybe just have the wedding in like episode two. Yeah. And then like fix all of the storytelling problems for the rest of the season. Maybe by the end, none of us would feel so used for views. (laughs) I ended the series, and I felt like I was used for my patronage.
0: Yeah, no, I totally understand what you mean. Because it wasn't a shortened season, right? It wasn't. They had the time. They had all the time. And the setup for the season could have been cool also. Like, having the entire season be set throughout the course of one wedding, that's a great concept. Could have been great. But it also sets you up for, like, a happy ending. And so what you got felt like a twist-ish ending that leaves you feeling empty. The
1: thing that really frustrates me is that How I Met Your Mother was such a good series. Um, I understand that it's not like... I mean, I don't think any series is perfect. And there will obviously be like a couple of things you wish that did differently. But for a very long time, How I Met Your Mother was just kind of like a bright spot in my, in my TV watching time. That... When news is bad or, like, when things are not going great. You had How I Met Your Mother. Oh,
0: Clea. <laughs> I
1: remember how much fun I used to have watching it. And then now I can't bring myself to do a rewatch because I just get so frustrated at, like, the thought of the last season.
0: Oh, no. Clea. But yeah, I super got that. Again, used to love Game of Thrones. Enough to make it my Twitter handle for, like, forever. But... You know, now I have very little affection for it. But honestly, I think How I Met Your Mother's ending is a betrayal that's more devastating. With Barney, we were able to see his growth and journey, but because the ending was based on who he used to be and not who he became, it really was more heartbreaking as a viewer.
1: No, for sure. With Daenerys, her character assassination was frustrating because you knew that there could have been more. With Barney, it was devastating.
0: Because it was there.
1: Everything was laid out in front of you.
0: And then it was taken away from you.
1: (laughs) In the second to the last episode. (laughs) Oh my god. Like, you didn't even have the time to process your shock and anger. Because by the time that it's sunken in, the series had already ended. And that is really the problem. Like, when you have a character like Barney Stinson, that grows so organically and so complexly, you can't be making creative decisions based on who he was in season 2. Like, he's become a completely different character by the end of it. That whatever you had planned is just not going to work.
0: And this is not a saying to creators and storytellers that they shouldn't follow their plans. You know, creating is hard. There are a lot of factors And it's not like following plans hasn't worked either. We've seen that work. And I think a good example of that is Avatar The Last Airbender with um, Aang. Well, to be fair,
1: Avatar The Last Airbender with everyone.
0: Yes, absolutely with everyone. It's an exceptional show. We will never shut up about it. But yeah, we will focus on Aang for this episode because he's a great example of a show understanding his identity from the beginning. And then the decisions that were made regarding his storyline were based on that firm understanding of identity and based on the growth that he goes through. I've gone on record multiple times on this, but I'm
1: going to say it again. The Last Airbender is THE gold standard, upon which I base like every single series finale ever.
0: I would say the same. It really set the standard so high because it established Aang's internal conflict way before the finale and that conflict is referred to time and time again and we see the tension and pressure to resolve that internal conflict build up because it directly affects the external conflict of the war at hand. This all sounds very ambiguous if you haven't seen the show, I just realized. We've given a spoiler warning, it's fine. Okay, so An's main conflict was that he had to reconcile his identity as an air nomad with his identity as the Avatar. Being an air nomad, he was taught to be peaceful, to respect life in all forms, but as the Avatar, he's supposed to bring justice to Fire Lord Uzai. And for everyone around him, justice meant... Taking Ozai's life.
1: As a 12 year old, and well, technically he was like 112, but as a 12 year old boy who was basically thrust into this position and told, like, hey, go kill
0: someone, this was not a fun experience for Aang. And doubly difficult was that no one understood why this was such a struggle for him as well. Everyone thought that taking Ozai's life was a given, but for him, it wasn't.
1: His struggle is very clear in like different parts of the narrative. Like, you see how much he doesn't like having to be violent.
0: Yes, exactly. It's consistent throughout the show. There are hints and references and foundations for that conflict. And, you know, it was set up very well and not an isolated thing just for the last season. Aang would,
1: like, always quote Monk Gyatso and say, Oh, but the monks taught me this, but the monks taught me that. So... You understood that he took his identity as an air nomad very seriously, but he also took his identity as the Avatar very seriously. And that was the main source of the tension, is that he knew that he needed to be both somehow.
0: And calling back to Danny, his relationships played a huge part in why he took those roles seriously. And so, you know, again, a reflection of how much the writers and the show understood Ang as a character. And the resolution to the conflict, honestly, I never expected. Same. Because he was able to fulfill his role as the Avatar without marring who he is as an air nomad by not killing Ozai, but by taking away his bending. And that's amazing because bending is the source of Ozai's superiority and like imperialism, basically. It was so important to him. And it's great because it reflects the show's understanding of the core of Anne, but also the core of Ozai. Right.
1: And it was also very clear, like, from the moment it happened, like, the entire audience suddenly understood that this was the best decision. For someone like Ozai, who relies so heavily on his bending for his power, this is worse than death. Even the way that it was animated, like this moment was such a revelation to young me who was just kind of like staring at the TV kind of in tears. Again, it was such a good narrative choice because it showed that the writers understood both parts of Aang and understood that neither of the obvious choices would have been satisfying because it would have betrayed some part of Aang. It was just a very well executed and well-planned ending because this kind of complex storytelling you can't get away with if you don't plan it in advance.
0: Yes, exactly. So we're not saying that creators shouldn't fulfill the vision they had for their show in the beginning because planning is a part of the writing process and also a part of the creation of a piece of media. You have to know the trajectory that your characters are going to take or perhaps you know the destination of your show. But I think, you know, you also have to know the limits of that planned trajectory and to maybe check in once in a while if that destination is still what would honor the progress that you and your team have gone through. Because at the end of the day, honoring your characters and honoring your story, it's not just for the audience, it's not just for the piece of media itself, but it's also for you and the crew and the people who worked on it. Which is also why I want to very quickly commend what Mike Scher and his team did with The Good Place. Mm, yeah. Because they chose to end the series with Season 4.
1: They stopped it at Season 4 and I would argue
0: it was probably the most popular they have like had been. Right! It was the peak of their popularity. And that's very rare. Obviously, that's also because you know some showrunners do not have the liberty to do that also. There are a ton of employees relying on them and the show. It's, you know, an economics thing as well. But for people who do have that privilege to say that, okay, this is the end because this is the way we can keep the show as good as it possibly can be. I think that is super commendable and something that I really, really appreciated.
1: Right. And, you know, to a smaller extent, it also shows a lot of respect to your audience Because it just proves that, hey, we want to give you the best story that we can. And this isn't a cash grab because, like, we're technically popular enough for three more seasons,
0: you know? Yeah, dude. Like, I really wouldn't have been mad if it went on for, like, three more seasons. Going back to what we said in the beginning, and something that we've said throughout also, is that Creating is difficult. As people who have studied and worked in the media industry and have tried to squeeze the last bit of creativity and resourcefulness we have out of ourselves when we needed to, these things take a lot of effort.
1: And I think as a viewer, it's very easy to sort of point fingers and say, oh, these people aren't doing their jobs right or whatever. But if you've ever been on the other side, you'll also know that like media is a massive operation. And it's not as easy as just, like, one person making one decision. So this isn't us putting the writers on blast and saying they're doing a horrible job. Like, we appreciate showrunners and writers and, like, all of these people who work so hard to give us content. But at the same time, you know, it's also holding them to the correct standards of content. Because I feel like creators really need to feel the responsibility to tell the best stories that they can.
0: And um. I think, you know, in some part, audience reaction is part of the deal as well, especially since this is mass media and, you know, you put it out there in the world to be consumed. So it's also to be critiqued.
1: At the end of the day, creatives, showrunners, network executives, what have you, I think they need to remember that audience loyalty is to your story and not your show. Right. That's what fan fiction is for. If we don't like your version of canon, then they're gonna, someone is going to write something better. And the
0: audience will support whatever that better thing is. Right, exactly. That's the thing. At the end
1: of the day, sure, thank you for putting these characters and this like, story and this universe out into the world. But if your audience feels like you've cheated them or you've cheated your characters out of a proper satisfying ending, we are going to move on. There's a term on the internet called the How I Met Your Mother Effect, which basically says that if your audience feels cheated enough by your ending, then your show loses all social relevance and all pop culture impact.
0: Which is exemplified by the show it got its term from, How I Met Your Mother, and I would argue Game of Thrones, because these two shows, again, dominated pop culture for such a long time. They ran for like eight and nine seasons. But... All the goodwill that they've built kind of feels like it's for naught. Which is sad because I believe that every creative wants to do something that they can be proud of. So to the showrunners, I hope you fight for that. I hope you fight for a show and a story that you and your crew could be proud of. And the characters in your show could be proud of. Because again, creating, it's a challenge. And it takes a lot out of you. But... Since you're doing that anyway already, <laughs> might as well make it good.
1: And on that note, we'd love to hear from you guys. As fans or ex-fans of Game of Thrones or How I Met Your Mother, what do you guys think of Danny or Barney? Or are there any other characters you love who got screwed over by bad writing? We'll be over on Twitter talking about it, so check us out at InMedia's Mess. And I think that's it for us this week.
0: Thank you for spending time with us, and we will talk to you guys next time. Bye, everyone!